Okay, so. <laughs> not counting Rumors, because Rumors doesn't count because that's obviously the best album. Mm-hmm. What's your second favorite Fleetwood Mac album? Um, probably not a very popular option or a choice, but probably Tango in the Night. How is that not the popular choice? How? Because I don't think it, it, like it, it, I think it went to number one or at least, at least hit the top 10. Had to have. But, uh, people didn't really like it. No. It was 80 Sleetwood Mac and people didn't really like 80 Sleetwood Mac. Well, that's an incorrect feeling to have. We liked 80 Sleetwood Mac. We love 80 Sleetwood Mac. (laughs) Honestly, after Rumors, and maybe after their their quote-unquote white album, the one that came before Rumors, because that's a great album too. Yeah. Mm. I could could tie it with Tango maybe. Yeah, that one had... It's got Gypsy and Landside and... No, Gypsy is on Mirage, which came... After Tusk. That's one of the three good songs on Mirage. <laughs> good to remember. Good to know. I listened to a lot of the albums in the past two weeks. All of them, to be they precise. They kind of just... After Buckingham and Nyx came on, it was like they all kind of merged yeah, together. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It's what makes Fleetwood Mac a really fun and unique band. And that's who we're talking about today. Fleetwood Mac! Fleetwood Mac! Bow, 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 bow. Okay. <laughs> Sweet treats of music knowledge. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And today, Ashley is going to tell us all about the Fleetwood Macs. This episode, by the way, is going to be deliciously paired with glitter and gold. Glitter and gold. Perennial artisan ales. Mm -hmm. Good choice so far. Good choice so far. If I do say so myself. It was very difficult to try and find a thematic beer at the beer store. I was there for like 30 minutes. And I'm like... I can't be here for this. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cocaine-themed beers, unfortunately. No, nope, nope. I found a Beatles-themed beer. God damn it. Which would have been great last week and the week before, but... no, nope, Not nope. this week. It's all right, you know? No. So... This is still really good, though. And it's it's gold. Like, gold dust woman. Exactly. And silver glitters, like silver springs. Boom. Exactly. Found it. Got it. Let's do this. All right. Fleetwood Mac, then. Okay. 
So a lot of people don't realize that Fleetwood Mac had a long and storied career before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined the band in 1974. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they released nine albums oh. before the two of them came on board. That's a lot of albums pre-Buckingham Nicks. Yeah. But also, you have to remember, at this, t- this is the time when bands were like shitting out albums left and right, like two, possibly even three a year. It's a lot. Including touring, including putting out singles, and and bonkers. I don't think anybody would be able to do that now. It's like years between albums You're lucky if in three years you get an album from your favorite artist. Right. Lucky. And if it's like an obscure rock band, you're lucky if it's like six years between albums. Seriously. So, this all started in 1963... When a baby-faced Mick Fleetwood mm. and John McVie met while playing in a blues band in, in London. And when I say baby-faced, I mean baby-faced. Oh, yeah, no. It was like, it, if mm. Mick Fleetwood wasn't six foot six, you would have thought he was about 11 years old oh. when he was 17. <laughs> <laughs> it's a baby! It's a little baby! Oh, little baby. It's a gangly little baby. <laughs> like, that baby's really malnourished. <laughs> Can we get him a pretzel or a Cinnabon, maybe? Something. Basically, when he was 17, he was pretty much living on alcohol, so... And who wasn't at 17? Yeah. Understandable. So at the time, blues was enjoying a boom in popularity in England, and the boys were cutting their teeth in an influential blues band, John Mayall's Blues Breakers, which also featured a young Eric Clapton on guitar. Yeah! Yeah! Clapton left to form Cream in 1966, and when he left, a mostly unknown blues guitarist named Peter Green joined the band as his replacement. Yes. So, after Peter Green came on board, he brought Mick in. Mm -hmm. Mick lasted a few weeks before he got kicked out because of his excessive drinking. Wait, so Mick gets kicked out of the band? Within weeks. Of being hired. Uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> all, right, all right, this is this is not going where I expected it to go. Let's, what? Right. Already, already. Their, their the addictions alcohol. are fucking things up. Yeah. After he got kicked out, uh, Green and McVie shortly followed. And this seemingly constant rotation of characters would become a defining characteristic of Fleetwood Mac for years to come, eventually clocking in at 16 different members throughout their career. Woof. <laughs> Too many members. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Too many members. Too many. So Peter, John, and Mick started what would eventually become Fleetwood Mac in 1967, bringing on board another blues guitarist named Jeremy Spencer. They released their first album, titled Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. in 1968, and it was a surprise hit in the UK. Oh, well, look at that! Right? The same year, their record company, Blue Horizon, released a single by Peter Green called Black Magic Woman, which might sound what? familiar. What? I got a black magic woman. I got a black magic woman. Yes, I got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. That she's a black magic woman and she's trying to make a devil out of me. Now that might sound familiar to you because about three years later, two or three years later, Santana 
would release the same song. They would cover it, release it, and it would be pretty much their biggest hit. Yeah, that's I didn't know it was Fleetwood yeah. Mac until I started. I didn't even for know this. that it was Fleetwood Mac until I started reading about this, because. I, I 100% always saw Santana. Yeah. Because this is good. It's one. It's another case of one of those covers where somebody took it and said, well, this is mine now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this poor, <is> <laughs> poor David Bowie with uh, fucking Nirvana taking Man That Was oh, a the Man, man who, who Sold the World. Sold the World, yeah. yeah. And it was people like, oh, this is a him. real great Nirvana song. Fuck you, it's Fuck not. Fuck you. <laughs> so poor Fleetwood Mac is probably sitting there like, Fine, fine, Santana, take it. You know what? We don't care. Just give us some royalties. Yeah. So we well, can... Mick Fleetwood's too drunk and high to really <laughs> yeah, notice he, anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's probably that's a really nice song. Oh, he, he wrote a great song. Mick, we wrote that. Oh, the fucking way. <laughs> when? Oh. When did we write that? Huh. I don't remember that. Oh, fucking remember that. Good job, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So they enjoyed moderate success in the UK and Europe. Um, didn't really break into America very mm-hmm. much because there was a really it was blues was really popular in England at yeah. that point for some reason in the whitest I country I don't ever. Know why? <laughs> it's really late to the bandwagon here. Yeah, <laughs> but at that point, like in America, blues wasn't really that big of a thing. We're like so, we've had it. We're good. Yeah, we we did this. We got it. We're kind of, we're moving on to Elvis. That's really the big thing right now. No, wait, the Beatles. uh, It was like the Beatles. It was like the hippie culture at that point. Oh, yeah, no, we're way too into psychedelics to give a shit about blues right now. Yeah, like, hate and Ashbury and San Francisco and everything is starting to come Jefferson Airplane. Yes, all of that crazy shit. Um, So, while they were enjoying this moderate success, they became essentially a session band for their, um record label blue horizon oh. so they started guesting basically on other people's recordings interesting so at that time period you could probably go look at blue horizon's discography of what they released and fleetwood mac was probably on all of those recordings at and least one or two members that's a great way to fucking i'm gonna play in a band, but I'm not going to have to do any real work for it. Right. I don't have to tour for this shit. Yeah. I don't have to write it, really. I'm just playing. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's kind of great. It's kind of like a garage band. Yeah, and they were basically just session And you're probably making players. some bucks off that. Not yeah. a lot, because session bands don't make a lot. But it was their label, right? Right. It, it wasn't the label that they owned. It was just oh. the label they were signed to. Well, still, they probably made a decent little, yeah. little pocket change. Yeah. And with the success of Black Magic Woman, which... We didn't hear until Santana did it. Right. Um, They ended up having their first television appearance in 1968 in Scandinavia. Ooh. So after that, they began work on a new album again in 1968. All of this early stuff gets so muddled because everything happens in the same year. Right. But it's like the chronology is just ridiculous. So various Blue Horizon artists helped out on the album including a piano-playing frontwoman from a band called Chicken Shack. <laughs> Chicken Shack. Which, I'm sorry, is one of the dumbest names I have ever heard for a band. Maybe if you were running a snack stand at a mini golf course, <laughs> sure, call it Chicken Shack. 
Like, don't name your band Chicken Shack. Like a Chuck E. Cheese level band at a mini golf right. course. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh. Well, clearly, moving on from Chicken Shack was the smart idea. But anyway, the front woman of this Chicken Shack band was named Christine Perfect, who would eventually become Christine McVie. So by the time the album, called Mr. Wonderful, was released in August of 1968, John and Christine were married, but Christine wouldn't actually join the band until 1970. At this time, she was kind of just okay. She she married John and then quit Chicken Shack. Oh. And then was kind of just okay with just being like a housewife. I'm fine with so this. So she wasn't really doing anything. She tried to launch her own solo career and it didn't really go anywhere. So she just kind of was hanging out and oh. helping out here and there with band recordings and whatever. Like you do. They ended up bringing in a third guitarist to Fleetwood Mac. Making their lineup, Peter Green, yeah. Mick Fleetwood, mm-hmm. John McVie, mm-hmm. Danny uh, Kerwin, I think. Is sure. Is that pronounce his name? Sure. That's where we're going with. And Jeremy Spencer. Oh, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. not that many people, but it's good. I mean, for a blues band, like, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, yeah I guess. Whatever. Just jamming. So Fleetwood Mac would get their first taste of real success in the latter part of 1968 when they released the single Albatross. Which is kind of like the one song anybody really knows from before the Buckingham Knicks entrance. Right. And it was actually a very big departure from what they were doing. Because up until now, they were basically a straight blues band. They didn't really veer off the course when they were recording their albums. And it was, and Peter Green and Jeremy Spencer were very much blues guitarists and blues writers and that's the path that they went down straight and narrow right but albatross was different because it was like three minutes and change of basically a guitar driven kind of dreamy psychedelic kind of song that they it really had no blues influences it was really almost like grateful dead inspired so it was a lot different than what they what they had been doing so far. That's about as big of a drop as you can get. <laughs> well, just wait for the beat to drop the whole time. God damn it. Why? It doesn't drop. Why doesn't the beat drop? But as I said before, it's very different from what they were doing. And instrumental, no vocals. Yeah. And it's very, very similar to, to me at least, to Sleepwalk by... Yeah. Uh, Santo and Johnny. It's actually a sleepier sleepwalk. Than it's a sleepwalk, sleepier sleepwalk. <laughs> which, good job, Fleetwood Mac. I guess way so. to do that. But uh, Santo and Johnny always reminds me, will forever remind me of La Bamba. And while I was putting this together, while I was putting like the playlist together, I was like, what is the La Bamba song? 
that this sounds exactly like, oh. and I had to like Google La Bamba soundtrack. So say I've never seen La Bamba. So what? I know it. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a whole nother episode, oh my isn't it? God. Oh, we should do an episode about the freaking soundtrack to La Bamba uh, I'm, and I'm Richie Valens because I need to watch it. It's, it's a perfect so excuse. That was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I had. My sister and I had two VHSs <laughs> of movies recorded off the TV. One had those. one had Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure, of course, The Neverending Story, and, oh yeah, and Labyrinth on it. And the other one had La Bamba, and there was another movie on there, but like D- La Bamba and Dirty Dancing. Oh man, yeah. You the were good. VHSs. You were good for entire days over oh, the yeah. summer. Just, oh yeah. Now we're just gonna watch these on repeat till they wear oh, out. Oh my god! And they wore out. Kids these days don't know what it's like to wear out your movies. No, <laughs> they scratch them mm-hmm. and then they, they don't even scratch don't them even... anymore. Now yeah, they don't like... even do. I just and dated it's myself. Turn... We've we have dated ourselves three times. Just then, <laughs> a lot. <sighs> okay, so. Writing this completely different song proved to be a good move by Peter Green, as the song skyrocketed to the top of the charts across Europe, Woo! even went to number 45 in Canada, Damn. but stayed a modest 104 in the U.S. We weren't impressed. We just weren't impressed. We already had that, and it was better. It was <laughs> we called had a lot of it. <laughs> We had a lot of it. We already had this. Thank you. So their subsequent singles would also do very well on the charts, making them bona fide stars. But as their fame rose, so did Peter Green's disenchantment with the band and its successes. What? So while on tour in the U.S. in 1968 and 1969, Peter renounced his Jewish faith, declared himself Buddhist, then declared himself a messianic Christian. Ooh, okay. He began wearing flowing white robes and crucifixes, talked incessantly about his search for God, and quote-unquote became obsessed with the idea of the band giving all their money away to charity, which they kind of, like, they kind of humored him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to be a philanthropist right? give away a little bit, but... But then they were like, yep, we really don't want to do that, like... We're not making all that much money as right. it is, so whatever we do make, we kind of need to live right. on it. Also, we have horrible drinking habits, and we need to <laughs> we need to we maintain need to these that. drinking habits. Exactly. I know that life. I understand that. Exactly. I drink craft beer. I don't drink shitty beer, yeah. so I gotta. Live. We have expensive bad habits. <laughs> right. I mean, at least not cocaine. And not yeah. However, Fleetwood Mac doesn't get to say the same. We'll get to that. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. So it was also around this time that Peter began using LSD and other psychedelic drugs on the regular. Okay, like everybody in the 60s. Right. Whereas up until now, the band's main drug of choice was alcohol. Right. And a lot of it. So the tipping point, if you will, was one night in March 1970 Mm. when the band was on tour in Europe. They were stopped in Munich, Germany. At an after party, Peter was given impure LSD. Oh no. Oh no. Oh god. <laughs> By a this random group of hippies that were following the band around on tour. So Peter had a bad trip from which he never fully recovered. Oh my god. He was also, <laughs> like I said, growing disenchanted with the band, lamenting the fact that he was pigeonholed into one particular music style with the band 
and wanted to be free to explore other oh, avenues. Wasn't that his music style that he pigeonholed exactly. himself into? Okay. Exactly. Just making sure I'm following yeah. along. The here. irony is not lost on me. Okay. Here. Just making sure. So he complained to Mick, or complained that Mick didn't always keep perfect time when he was drumming. Compl- well, it's probably because he was drunk all the time. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Or, I don't know. Maybe he was a better drummer when drunk. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a better talker when I'm drunk, so that's why we're drinking right now. Exactly. I get I get balls <laughs> when I drink. Yeah. Or bigger ovaries or whatever you want to take it as. But irregardless, <laughs> yes. Speaking of balls, can I just say that every picture I see of Mick... It's just his balls up, out? Kind of. <laughs> yes. He, okay. He wore, he's skinny and he wears tight pants all the time, mm. but he has these two like furry balls that he hangs yes. from his belt yes. in like yes. right in front of him, <laughs> and they literally stop like right, right under crush. his junk. Yeah. So he's literally walking around with his balls out. Oh my god! Swinging all over it. the place. He one hundred percent did that on purpose. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would be mad if he didn't do that on purpose. Yeah. There's no way Mick Fleetwood did that not on purpose. Nah. <laughs> anyway. So, Pete's so, done. So, well, no, not yet. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, he was complaining that Mick didn't always keep perfect time. He was complaining that John, or about John's excessive drinking, which is pretty hypocritical. <laughs> I had a bad trip. You guys drink too much. And thought that Danny Curran was being a quote-unquote glamour boy. <laughs> Glamour boy. That's such a fucking middle school taunt. What does that even mean? Like, you're in a blues band. How is one guy being a glamour boy? And when boy? I hear glamour boy, I think Bowie, and that's not yeah. an insult. Also, you guys are not making enough money to be a glamour boy. Mm-mm. No. No. Stop it. So during the final days of the tour, where he had the bad LSD trip, he approached uh, Fleetwood Mac's manager and officially quit. Quit. Fleetwood Mac. Okay. So the last single he recorded with Fleetwood Mac would be Green uh, Monalishi with the two-pronged crown. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They get real They get real obscure after a bit. <clears throat> it was a song about a traumatic nightmare he had months previous, and it was a hit in the UK and would be the last song on the singles charts for them for six years. Whoa. Yeah. So, after Peter's departure in 1970, that's when Christine officially joined the band. Which really, upgrade. Let's let's be honest here. That was an upgrade. Would, yeah, I would say an upgrade. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. Um, they recorded and released uh, Kiln House, their yeah. first album without Peter. Right. Named Kiln House because they were living in a kiln house... <sighs> Recording in a kiln house. Oh. Like, they went to, like, this this house that used to be a kiln house, which apparently was used to, like, dry hops yeah, yeah. for beer making. Ooh. Nick was probably loving it. <laughs> and, like, all of their families were there. Girlfriends, wives, kids, whatever. Jeremy Spencer had a wife and a kid at that point. Everybody, um, oh. I don't think Mick was married yet, but... Um, he was with somebody and like everybody's girlfriends, boyfriends, yeah. whatever. It was a commune. Basically. Basically it was a band commune. Alright. And then they went on tour for Kiln House, Kiln House in the US. And then things would start to unravel and be real weird 
in the summer of 1971 while they were on tour. Right. So they were on tour in the U.S. They were in Los Angeles readying themselves for a gig at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Ooh. When their guitarist, Jeremy Spencer, suddenly disappeared. <laughs> Is this, this is a piss poor time for Where's Waldo, Jeremy? Right? right. <laughs> <laughs> the day before they had arrived in L.A., they had been in San Francisco. And that day, the day before they were leaving for L.A., an earthquake hit San Francisco. Oh, shit. And they were all shaken, of course. Yeah. But Jeremy did not take it well at all. Oh, no. He was terrified. They don't know what fucking earthquakes are. Yeah, he was he was terrified. Um, so Jeremy, he was kind of a weird guy. He had always been a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And he was often seen hanging out by himself or with his family backstage, reading a Bible or talking about scripture. Oh, my. Um... Which completely contradicted his on-stage persona, because when he was on stage, he was, like, kind of crass. Oh. And he was famous for doing an Elvis impression. <laughs> was it terrible? I, I hope it know. was terrible. I really wish I had recordings of it, of it because I'm if, sure it was horrible. If anyone finds them, send them to us. Yes. Please see. <laughs> and apparently he would, like, make lewd gestures on stage and, like, huh, which is very strange. And then he would go backstage and read the Bible. Hey, who wants to hear a good one from Leviticus, guys? <laughs> I got some good hits That's right here. Good ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I imagine that was that was starting to fade out, huh? Mm-hmm. But for a little while, up until this point, Jeremy had started becoming more and more paranoid and withdrawn. Jesus Christ! And the earthquake didn't help things. And he told Mick that he didn't want to get on the plane and fly to L.A. for the Whiskey A Go-Go gig because he felt, quote-unquote, bad vibes. You all got some bad vibes about this, man. Got your bad vibes right here. <laughs> it's in my balls. <laughs> That's what Mick said, I Mick's imagine. Balls. <laughs> Mick's balls. Just, just, it's fine. My balls are here. <laughs> so he was finally consoled enough to get on the plane, but as soon as they got to their hotel in L.A. the next morning... Jeremy told the band he was going for a walk to buy some books and magazines at a bookshop down the street, but by that evening, he still wasn't back. That's not good. So the band canceled their show and searched everywhere for Jeremy, but couldn't find him. They had his photo on the news. They put an (gasps) APB out on the radio. They even called in a sidekick to try and connect to him. Because that's what you did back in the 60s, though. That was, like, your lifeline. That was was immediately what you did. Yeah. First police, then psychic. Yeah. But pre-immediate... And sometimes, I I don't know, police just had psychics in the fucking office. Like, hey, do you know anything about this? This was, like, pre-milk carton days. They Ow. didn't have pictures of the milk cartons yet. <laughs> I just pictured his face on the milk carton, though, and it's great. I wish just it was some there. totally strung out, like, hippie-looking dude with long hair. Like, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, you and everybody else, buddy. Have you seen me? <laughs> so finally, after four days Jesus. of searching. That's too many. They found the guitarist in the hands of the infamous cult's Children of God. <gasps> what? Yes. 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 Are you kidding so, me? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, here's a brief history of the Children of God. Ooh. 
Any any way that we could get true crime into this. Anytime I can involve a cult into oh, our God. podcast, Boner it's going to be fucking great. Oh, I'm really excited. I'm honestly surprised that Peter Green didn't end up in a cult. He sounded like he was about to start his own. I mean, maybe. He could have. He might have tried. He could have. just might not have taken off. Yeah. He <laughs> wasn't that popular of a cult leader. It's like, you don't have that charisma. You're way too strong. That trip apparently just never <laughs> left you. So Children of God was a doomsday cult started in California in 1968 by a man named David Berg. Mm. It basically preyed upon hippies largely left over and forgotten in the early 1970s after the hippie heyday had mostly ended. Lots of hippies at this time were drug addicted, jobless, homeless, disenchanted, etc., etc., and really had nowhere to go. So they ended up being perfect converts to a cult. Yep. So David Berg basically took his family, turned them into like weird Christian yeah. traveling family bands, and would put them on the streets of California, yep. trying just basically trying to get all of the converts that they possibly could. Recruiting every crazy, dirty hippie they could. Recruiting everybody. And during this time, they went through, like, numerous name changes. And eventually they settled on Children of God. Didn't they have a lot of creepy, weird child sex? Yeah, in there. Oh, no! (laughs) So, (laughs) eventually... He has children! Yeah, eventually, um, Children of God gained enough members that um david berg like set up the weird hierarchy and he had his inner circle it's a lot like scientology is today a lot like scientology and he would he was just bonkers and he thought that he was like a messiah and the second coming of jesus and basically god was telling him what to do in order to get God's love and God's mercy and whatever, all that bullshit. Yeah. And eventually, uh, according to David Berg, in order to gain God's love and salvation, uh, you basically have to involve yourself in incest Mm. and the sexual abuse of children. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ugh. of course, they would deny all of that, but it was, Ugh. it was, they, it's well known Ugh. that you, why, poor K, is it basically oh, like you have to, it. you have to have sex with your own relatives, no, stop it, and you have to sexually abuse very young children. No, you never guess what? You never have to do that. There yeah, is you zero really situations don't. that that ever needs to happen. This is not something you have to do at all. Never, and you shouldn't. <laughs> PSA: you really shouldn't. Don't don't abuse children. Yes, yeah, sexually, physically, mentally, otherwise, just don't. Just fucking don't do it. Don't be a piece yeah. of shit. Yeah. That was your the more you know moment. Yeah. <laughs> from this episode. Just pretend there's so a wait, comment what happened? Line. Do we know what happened with what's his face? Yes. Okay. So um they finally figured out where he was after four days of searching for him. Jesus Christ. They figured out that he was in this shitty warehouse that the children of God were staying in oh, in no. LA. And it it wasn't the band members, it was like two two of the roadie crew oh. that went to the warehouse and they were like knocking on the doors and the cult members were like, we don't know anybody named Jeremy. Here. Oh God. 
<laughs> Creepy. <laughs> Finally, they got Jeremy to the door and he, he just acted like he didn't know who these two people were. And he explained that his name was now Jonathan, no. which is a total cult tactic. Yeah. When they get a new convert, change oh, their name. So anything that happened to you before the moment of conversion doesn't exist. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said he had absolutely no interest in the band anymore and had found his true calling in the children of God. The other members of Fleetwood Mac pleaded for Spencer to return to their hotel with them, but it was no use. Oh, Spencer was out of the band forever, and he continues to be a member of the Children of God. Are you to this shitting day. me? He is still a member. I would flip this table right yeah. now if all our equipment and beers weren't on it. Yeah, yeah. Are you shitting me? Not shitting. Fuck that. Fuck, Fuck that you. guy. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. You know I what? Mean, Fuck that guy. Uh, yeah. Fuck. You know what? No. Let's go. I can't. I can't even. Let's keep going. <laughs> Next. I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm really mad. So with Spencer's departure, Peter Green briefly rejoined the band and released several more albums and had a few more band member rotations. Fuck. But uh, yeah. Yeah, shake it off. 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 All right, shake all this bullshit off. Let's get to where (laughs) Fleetwood Mac starts to be a legit, really good band. Okay, so by 1973, the band was made up of the core members of Mick, John, and Christine, and included guitarists Bob Welch and Bob Weston. Too many Bobs. Too many Bobs. So, don't worry, they don't last long. Oh, God. Excuse me. But Christine and John's marriage was suffering from constant contact with each other, and John's excessive drinking didn't help. Christine, at that time, was having an affair with their producer, Martin Birch. Oh, shit. And Mick saw his own marriage start to break up because his wife, Jenny Boyd, which her name sounds familiar. Mm Mm-hmm was having an affair with their own guitarist, Bob Weston. Oh, so the that reason... doesn't bode well for Bob. <laughs> so the reason Jenny Boyd's name sounds familiar is because her older sister is Patty Boyd. That's it. Who is George Harrison's wife and later Eric, Eric Clapton's wife. wife. Wow. Full circle. Look at us. First three episodes, full circle. <laughs> Where else are you going to get that kind of service? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so this... Affair, of course, led to Mick telling Bob to get the fuck out of the band. Get the fuck out of here. During a show in Nebraska in 1973. So their manager, Clifford Davis, was understandably furious about this. They were in the middle of a tour. And you fired your guitarist. Way to go. Good job. Um, So he was furious that they fired him. And they were even more pissed off when Mick asked to cancel tour dates so the band could regroup and get their shit together. But you probably should do that, though. You probably should. It would probably be a good idea, especially because you don't have a guitar player. Yeah. Clifford Davis, in his infinite wisdom, decided to do something not only ridiculous, but really, really stupid. Enter Fake Fleetwood Mac. Ooh. Fakewood Mac. Fakewood Mac. Let's do this. <laughs> so essentially, Clifford Davis decided he owned the rights to the name Fleetwood Mac. Since the real Fleetwood Mac wasn't going to fulfill their tour dates, which would cost Davis a big wad of cash if for in show cancellation fees, 
he decided to hire a group of pretty much unknown musicians, slap the name Fleetwood Mac on what? him, and shuffle them around the country on you a know tour. What? Change the name Bootleg Mac. Yeah, pretty much. Oh my god, that's so bootleg. But, but I mean, if he did that, then nobody would come to the show because nobody wants to see a Fleetwood Mac cover band. They want to see Fleetwood Mac. Right. They already bought the tickets. And I guess it was before internet, so you might not realize that right. it's not How them. are you going to know? I guess. And he did a shasty thing. He so took shiesty. posters with, like, Christine McVie's face and made posters of her and said Fleetwood Mac featuring like Christine McVie or whatever and slapped them up all over town and made people think that the real Fleetwood Mac was going to be there. That's or shanties. at least like some of the bands had to like drop off the tour. So they got different musicians and Mick was still going to be playing at the show, but it would be with other members. But in fact, none of the members of Fleetwood Mac even knew that he was doing this. Although hot second, the band does change a lot. Right. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so nobody really... I might have reversed my opinion on this. Meh. Right. But he did all this shit with, like, totally under their noses. Yeah, that's bullshit. While they were all back in England, and it was it was not cool. That is not cool. Officially, no. hashtag not cool. Hashtag not cool. So, understandably, people were pissed. Yeah. Because instead of the real band, you're getting a phony cover band. And the four-month tour that Clifford Davis scheduled with fake Fleetwood Mac was canceled after only a few weeks as word spread that the band was fake and people were demanding their money back. At this point, because of all of this mess, because of all the personal issues, and now they have a lawsuit against Clifford Davis because they used their name when he shouldn't have and... Made a fake band. Yeah. Uh, the band was effectively disbanded. John went to Tahiti, as you do. Because you do. Bob Welch went to L.A. Mick and Christine went back to England. They took Clifford Davis to court and pretty much ripped him a new one. Oh, yeah. And then rebanded to record Heroes Are Hard to Find. Mm. But Bob ended up leaving the band after that album. Or Bob Welch. Yes, one of the Bobs. One of the Bobs, because <laughs> the other Bob was already kicked out. Oh my um, and Fleetwood Mac were once again looking for a new band member. Oh. Enter Buckingham Nicks. Oh, those oh. names are familiar. So Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham, high school sweethearts from California, were in a folk band together called Buckingham Nicks. Really creative. Really yeah. good, guys. Good really. job. Good job. Buckingham Knicks, Fleetwood Mac. They really like last yeah, names. They, yeah. Really into it. Yeah, they're really into that kind of... Whatever. You know what? It works. That's why they're all friends. Yeah. But they, by chance, ran into Mick at Sound City, a studio in L.A. in 1974. And Mick remembered being impressed with Lindsay's guitar skills and Stevie's singing. So when Bob departed the band, Mick got in touch with Lindsay and asked him to join. Famously, Lindsay told him that he and Stevie were a package deal and Mick reluctantly agreed to have both of them join the band. But, like, that was probably the smartest thing that, was that Lindsay the Buckingham best decision any of them ever had. fucking made. It, it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%, that was the best thing you ever did, Lindsay. Best decision. The only good thing Lindsay Buckingham has ever done. He's done some stuff that's okay. 
I like some of his songs. Just wait. You're not going to have a very favorable. No, I already don't have a very favorable. I don't either. He's not, a, he's not a good, he's not a good person. But after doing this, I, I, I really don't like him. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stevie knew the established band members only asked her to be in the band because Lindsay basically demanded it. Right. But they welcomed her with open arms anyway, which was Because they really were all nice. drunk. Yeah. And they love everybody. Right. I mean, they all sound like good drunks, at least. Yeah. So that's something. So Stevie said, quote, They make me feel wonderful. I fell madly in love with all of them immediately. And even though I knew in my heart that they didn't really need me, I would try to be really good. And maybe I would find a way to be needed there. Oh, honey. Which is so... You were needed. Very much. (laughs) Trust me. You were needed. (laughs) Very much. So without even playing a live show together first, the new incarnation of Fleetwood Mac immediately went into the studio to record what would become the second album to be called Fleetwood Mac. Right. It's a little confusing. Yeah. But it's their 10th. So their first album and their 10th album were both called Fleetwood Mac. Alternatively, they do call this one the quote unquote white album. Yeah. So you can also refer to it as that. Even though. Or you could also just say it's the good Fleetwood Mac Fleetwood Mac (laughs) album. Even though this album and Rumors were both white with, like, black silhouette I pictures on it. I Rumors was beige-ish, wasn't it? Maybe? I don't know. I have two copies of it on vinyl, and both of them are so old that they're basically, like, dirt beige <laughs> they're just now. Du- they're dirt colored. <laughs> they're, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So it was a new start with a new major record label. They had just signed to Warner Brothers and they had a new lineup. The one that would actually stick for the rest of their careers. What? Yeah. Well, wait. No, no. no. Almost. I mean, there was that. We'll get to that. We're not going to talk about the 90s. We won't talk. Guys, (laughs) spoiler alert. We're not talking about the 90s. It was not a good time. I'm just going to pretend like 90s Fleetwood Mac didn't exist. You and everybody else, sweetie. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So they released Fleetwood Mac in 1975 and followed with a grueling tour of the U.S. Popularity fell for them after the fake Fleet after Fleetwood Mac. Bootleg Mac. So they were again playing to half-empty halls and sleeping in vans on top of musical instruments. Buh. But as their tour went on, their singles climbed the charts, and they found themselves with a few hits on their hands. Mm. The two biggest ones were Rhiannon and Say You Love Me. Which both. Both classics. Great songs. pretty obvious from the get-go that stevie in particular is bringing something completely different to the table um with her songs and they're not really bluesy anymore mm. they're, they're not a blues band anymore honestly basically. in the a few albums before that you can tell i could tell listening through the entire discography that there was a huge difference once christine joined the band yeah like there's you can tell the steps. Like, it they're got just, fuller, almost. They're just, like, the straight, like, almost kind of sparse blues band. Mm. And then Christine comes in, and she's playing a completely different instrument 
than they had before because she's mostly playing the piano. Right. So it's a different sound than a guitar-driven blues band. Yeah. She's not playing blues piano. She's playing straight-up pop piano at this point. But yeah, and now you've got Lindsay, (laughs) whose guitar skills are, I think, superior to... Absolutely. ...the guys who came before him. At least, um, I mean... Peter Green is a really good blues yes, guitarist. He is. But he's a blues guitarist. Right. Lindsey Buckingham is not. He's a rock guitarist. Yeah. And he's really good at at being a rock guitarist. Right. And this is the album where Fleetwood Mac takes that hard left-hand turn. We're like, now nah, we're doing this. Fuck this. Right. I got one. And they made the conscious de- decision to do that. Yeah. Like, they knew that they were moving away from blues because the only person, well, the only people in the band that were still there from the beginning were John and Mick. And, and I think, honestly, I think they were both at that point where they were like, we can't really continue to be a blues band and yeah. not expand our horizons at all. So Stevie starts dragging Fleetwood Mac into the spotlight with the witchy woman. Yeah, that's it. That she will become famous for. And in contrast, Christine's more poppy, catchy sound is more upbeat, but still blends with Stevie's whimsical sound. Whimsical sound. Yep. And also further blends more. That was really that was a terrible sentence. Further more blends. <laughs> further more blends. <laughs> with Lindsay's darker, heavier, guitar-driven mm-hmm. sound. And even though everybody has their own distinct style, and you can tell when when you listen to this album. And when you listen to rumors, mm. you can pick out everybody's song. Even oh, yeah. If, even if you didn't know who wrote it, you knew which songs were Christine's, you knew which songs were Stevie's, you knew which songs were Lindsay's. Yes. And even though they were very different and distinct, they all meshed so well together. Right. No, it it, it was just this beautiful marriage of things that shouldn't work, but wow, they really did. Yeah, they really do work. Good job. Somehow. So with the success of their self-titled album... The band would usher in the area, or area, era, era, era <laughs> of quote unquote adult rock, Ooh. meaning <laughs> it's easy to listen to, but well written and extremely well performed. Mm-hmm. And they became the quintessential, this is what our parents listened to when they were our age. Oh, band. yeah. This our parents like, thought they were the coolest oh, listen yeah. to Fleetwood Mac. But like... Whenever I think of the music that my parents listen to, first band is Fleetwood Mac. Yep. Actually, it's a tie for me between Fleetwood Mac and Eagles, which... Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. A hundred percent. So this album wouldn't even compare to their next album. The album that would give them fame, fortune, and all the cocaine they could snort up their oh, noses. Oh my god. Too much cocaine! But that album is Rumors. Rumors! The first... The breakups. Oh, my God. If you don't know anything about rumors, <laughs> then you know it's all about breakups. If you yeah. don't know anything about rumors, guess what? It is all about breakups. Every single yeah. song. And not just about breakups, but all the breakups were happening within the band. Right. And not even just the breakups, but also the reactions to the breakups. Mm-hmm. And then the consolings of the breakups. And, and yeah. hey... Let's and, deal with the breakups and then the weird affairs after the breakups. Yeah, it's and... a lot of it's a it's a it's a crazy album, guys. It's but it's weird. fun. It's the best album. <laughs> but like, that's the stuff that made the album great. Hundred percent. All of that horrible tension and all of the you know 
the breakups and the feelings that came out of it made really great songs. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say something. I don't know if it'll be controversial to Fleetwood Mac fans, but Lindsey Buckingham does not play as consistently awesome on any other album. On Rumors, every single song you can like just feel how pissed off. Oh yeah, and you can feel his raw emotion in his guitar. In every single song. And that kind of makes sense because this is like one of, if not the only time during Fleetwood Mac's career and his solo career where he's in a really rough spot. Mm. Like he's going through this horrible breakup. There's tension and it's like there's drugs, there's drinking, all that stuff. Yeah. Afterwards... He's not one of the main guys in Fleetwood Mac that is, like, super, like, going nuts with drinking and alcohol and everything. He's kind of keeping to himself yeah, a little bit. So this is probably one of the worst times for him and one of the most stressful times for him. Right. So maybe that's, like, his sweet spot when maybe. he's writing. Maybe. Maybe or he I needs don't know. to be pissed off well, to write good music. So I was reading Storms by Caroline Harris, which I wouldn't suggest to anyone because oh, I found a blatant, absolute lie in it. <laughs> and after that, I really couldn't take the book seriously. I'm sure there are nuggets of truth in it. But she says he was like high and drunk all the time throughout all of the touring and all of everything through rumors. They had a tumultuous relationship. Apparently he was abusive mentally and physically. I'm not saying I don't believe her. I'm just saying... We'll touch on that we'll later. We'll touch on that. But <laughs> arguably, I don't know if... It, it, Lindsay may have... What I'm saying is Lindsay may have started his dark period here and just never really gotten out until 2000. That makes sense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the, like, he was good at the start of it. Yeah. And then it just got bad. Like, maybe it started around this time mm-hmm. and he was using it as yeah. fuel for the fire, but then... As soon as rumors was over, he just kept with it and just became an asshole. Because yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. It, it, he was too much. Yeah, too much. Too he wasn't much power. using it for creative purposes anymore. He was just being a fucking dick. Yeah, exactly. That's the, yes. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Thank you. It just took us about five minutes to get it out. We there. got there. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at this time. There were two relationships happening simultaneously within the band. The marriage of John and Christine McVie and the union of Lindsay and Stevie. Yes. Both were desperately on the rocks by 1975. And Mick's marriage to Jenny was majorly cracking as well. Yes. Mick claims he wasn't having any affairs, which I do not believe. Oh, no. At all. Not true. Like, hot take. Young Mick Fleetwood... He was hot. I would climb that jungle gym all goddamn day. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't even care if he kicks his fucking fuzzy balls out. I don't do care. Do it. Don't care. I would put young the fuzzy Fleetwood. balls out. I would. Oh, my God. So, no, no he, was he was really cute. He was hitting it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Fucking lie that he wasn't having any. He's hitting it. Bullshit. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> she was hitting it, too, so it's fine. Oh, yeah. Totally. She was having an affair. Exactly. So um, it's fine. So, he claims he wasn't having affairs, but rather spending far too much time doing band stuff. <laughs> and and also, at that point, after the whole debacle with uh, Clifford Davis, Mick took on the role of band manager. So, he was, even though he wasn't a primary songwriter, he was still 
like the one keeping the band together. He was doing all this stuff for the band and he was being the manager. Right. So I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're probably really involved with the band, but you're fucking other people too. Don't lie about it. Oh yeah. No. And it's (laughs) again, it's fine. So by 1976, Jenny had moved out of their home with their two daughters and filed for divorce. Oh yeah. John then got word that Christine was being sneaky behind his back and having an affair with Curry Grant, who is essentially a roadie in charge of lighting. So, hot take again, part two. Apparently, I've heard that you make love and fun. That's about him. Is about him. Yep. I want you to pretend that you're John McVeigh. Exactly. And And you gotta listen to your wife, your wife, say that, I didn't believe in miracles, but now I do. Until the lighting. you got that dick. Until the lighting roadie started banging me. (laughs) And then you have to listen to your wife writing and recording this, and then it goes on your album. Yeah, and, and you then have to you perform gotta play it, it every the rest of your night life. for the rest, the rest of your, your life. life. <laughs> just think about that, everyone out there. Feel can, bad for John. Can McFay. you imagine? I just hope that he threw so much shade at her for that. <laughs> yeah, I could just picture Stevie being. Wait a minute, Silver Springs doesn't get on here, <laughs> but, but you saw thing. about Bone and a Roadie gets on here. Fuck you guys. We're gonna go do some cocaine. <laughs> So, oh boy. (laughs) About that affair. (laughs) Well, actually, so he found out they were having an affair, and immediately this guy gets fired. Oh. Immediately. Yeah. But Christine continues having this affair with him, like, for years. She's a grown ass independent woman. Is it an affair if you're divorced? They're not divorced yet. They oh. don't get divorced until 1978. Guys, come on. What yeah, are you doing? They dragged that shit out. And in the meantime, like, they're both having affairs with different people. And they're both well aware of it. Oh, it's my God. so weird. So, <laughs> about this affair, John said, and this is such a sad quote to me for oh, some no. reason. He said, I got the word that basically we weren't a unit anymore. And she'd rather be with our lighting director than me. Oh, that's so John sad. He's just, he's just really a big fan of alcohol. Yeah. He didn't do anything wrong. I feel like he's just saying that, like, just shrugging his shoulders. Sorry, because she wants to be with the lady. But this guy. is also kind of like the equivalent of being broken up with through text. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Only it's your wife. Yeah. That's a really rough way to get a divorce. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was pretty true that she just didn't really want to be with him anymore because his drinking at that time had gotten so out of hand that she just couldn't take it anymore. So instead of just fucking divorcing him, she goes and cheats on him. Damn. Whatever. All right. All right. So Stevie and Lindsay weren't doing well either with their roller coaster of a relationship starting to permanently break down. And they would be broken up by the time they started recording rumors in 1976. Oh, shit. And John and Christine would effectively be completely done with at that point, too. Okay. So tensions were crazy high in the studio, with poor McFleetwood stuck in the middle with his own marital problems to deal with while others around him barely spoke to each other. So while they were holed up in a studio in Sausalito, California, making rumors, actual rumors were running rampant. Oh, yeah. 
Apparently, Christine was hospitalized for a random illness, which was not true. Oh. Uh, there was another rumor that a 10-year anniversary tour with the original members was going to be planned. Well, not true. Okay. Not true. Um, there was a rumor that Stevie and Lindsay were secret parents of a daughter who, and it all sparked because there was a picture of the two of them together with holding a little girl. Oh. It was mixed daughter. Oh my God. <laughs> but, oh my but the God. press ran with it. But in real life, Jenny, Mick's wife, started dating a former member of Chicken Shack. <laughs> Down gray. Yeah. And this Down apparently gray. this this ex-member of Chicken Shack was also Mick's former roommate. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, John started dating Peter Green's ex-girlfriends. Jesus Christ. Um, Lindsay apparently became a lady killer and was just like with Ladies left and right. It was, those, it was all those lady robes he was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> and Stevie started dating Don Henley from the Eagles. Good for you. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I don't. I think I, I wouldn't hit Don Henley, but I can. I can respect you. Yeah, for have doing you seen it. Don Henley back then? No. Oh, he was good looking. All right. I'll have to show it to you. He's got a good voice. Yeah, back then in the Eagles... He might Eagles, be able to sing himself into my pants. No, back then in the Eagles, he was real good looking. All right, all right. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And Christine was still having an affair with the lighting director. I mean, all right. <laughs> I, I, I feel like everybody but Christine and Jenny just really upgraded. Yeah, right? Um, on top of all of this, drugs became a big part of everyone's lives at this point. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Sausalito was apparently still a hotbed of activity for hippies, even in the early 70s. Or okay. Actually, this was the mid-70s. Yeah, yeah. Right now. Good for you, Sausalito. Good for them. Uh, so drugs <laughs> were very easily accessible, and cocaine became their drug of choice, mm -hmm. and there was lots of it. Mm -hmm. One of the owners of the studio they were recording rumors in said the band would come in at 7 at night, have a big feast party till one or two in the morning and then when they were so whacked out they couldn't do anything they'd start recording oh good yeah oh god it's a good way to record an album right yes so despite the insanity happening around them personally they all continued to have a well-functioning working relationship when it came to making the album Lindsay and stevie in particular always knew how to work with each other despite what was going on in their relationship describing themselves as musical soulmates Lindsay has said whenever Stevie's music, whatever Stevie's music was, I was the soulmate that just knew exactly what to do with it. Arguably, they were in a band they before, so they kind of knew what to do already coming into this. Yeah, they collaborated really well together. And even still, even later in their uh, recording, like when they did Say You Will in like mm -hmm. the earlier mid-2000s, like still Stevie had like half-formed songs. Yeah. And she brought them into the studio, played them for Lindsay, and he was like, all right, I know exactly what to do with these. Right. And, like, I know exactly what kind of producer is going to, like, edit these and mix them and all that shit and make them great. And she was like, yep, do it. All right, let's do this. You know. So, everyone in the band had a functioning working relationship with each other, despite the fact that all the songs were extremely personal oh, and yeah. mostly written about other bandmates. For instance, <laughs> Go Your Own Way was Lindsay's response to Stevie breaking up with him. Y'all. While Silver Springs, which 
so sadly didn't make the album. You couldn't put one more song on the album? Like, I, Stevie was really upset that Silver Springs didn't make the album. It's a great I'm song. I'm really upset that it didn't make the album. Everyone should be upset. Right. It's a fantastic song. But it didn't make the album. But that was her response to Lindsay's Go Your Own Way. Mm. So there were, like, call and response kind of songs going on here. Right. Which is kind of neat. Yeah. It's a different kind of dynamic. Yeah. Than a lot of other bands were doing. Yeah, because you... I, I imagine most bands could not do that. They would have to bury their right. feelings and just fucking work through it. Right. And Don't Stop could be seen as a message from Christine to John telling him to keep going with the music despite the fact that she cheated on him with the lighting director. <laughs> Whatever, I just Christine. can't get over this lighting director guy. I, I, I hate Don't Stop, so... <laughs> I hate that song so much. <laughs> so that's just another reason for me to not like it. Yep. Rad. <laughs> and despite all the pain and broken relationships, they were still a band, and the band always came first. Nothing got that message across better than the chain and owed... To keeping their shit together. Oh yeah, which also just a fucking fantastic Amazing song. was released in 1977 and was instantly a hit. Oh, yeah. And they had started touring for it in 1976 before it was even finished. Oh. Because at that point, they had just released (sighs) Fleetwood Mac not long before that. Yes. So they had just released uh, Say You Love Me from the previous album. Right. And that, like, skyrocketed to the top of the charts. So they kind of just cut recording short and went out on tour because people, they were all of a sudden really popular and right. they could make a lot of money on a tour. Oh yeah. That's how most bands make their money. Yeah. Instantly they were famous. It went to number one, yeah. which was the first time any of their songs hit number one. Instantly they were famous. They were high. They were drunk and they had a lot of money. Oh Yeah. All that money began to turn into piles of coke and cognac, and Stevie once described how their drug and alcohol habits got totally out of control. So 1976, that's when I remember being more aware of cocaine, and it was appearing in a way where somebody would just give you a little bit, and you'd be like, oh, cool, I have a little energy now. And um, that was really what it was. So then you have a hit of Coke, and then you're too nervous. And then you're too nervous, so then you say, well, then I'll have a little shot of brandy. And then you feel like maybe you're a little little teeny bit drunk. And then, so you'll have another hit of Coke, because then that's going to make you not so drunk. So I'm looking, you know, towards going into 1977, going into r- the making of rumors. Then cocaine really started appearing, and you start buying it. And that's what makes it different, is 
you know, if you buy it, then you're buying it. And um, if you're buying it, you're doing it. So we were doing it. And that's what happened. And the cycle then just escalates. Yeah. So basically, that's when they start buying it. And once you start buying it, you're addicted that's, to it. That, well, that is a fair point. Once you start buying it, that's when you're saying, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And I think that's true about anything, whether it's drugs, cigarettes, you know, alcohol. That happens to me with energy drinks. <laughs> I drink way too many energy drinks. It's ridiculous. Oh my God. Like, I was dating somebody who started drinking energy drinks. I'm like, I'll try one and then I have one because I didn't drink coffee at that point but like I needed a way to stay awake when I was working 60 hours a week at my shit job that I was at at the time. Right, right, right. And then before I know it I'm buying my own energy drinks. Before I know I'm buying energy shots. Before I know I'm drinking two a day. It's like you have an addiction. It's ridiculous. I get it. It's energy energy drinks and cocaine. They're the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. One's illegal and one's not. <laughs> and one one will cave in your face if you do too much of it. That is true. <laughs> that is That's Stevie Nicks. <laughs> so they also splurged on big houses and fancy cars yep. and started living the life of real rock stars. Yes, uh. Rumors ended up going to number one in both the U.S. and the U.K. and stayed in the charts for 477 weeks. That's nine years. Nine years. Right? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. They stayed in the charts with nine I years. I need to make a note to fucking look up who else has done that. Probably Michael Jackson. But Jesus Christ. I want to say they knocked Michael Jackson out of the top. Or maybe Jackson 5. Or maybe Michael Jackson knocked them oh, out. Oh, maybe. You know what? Maybe. I, I can see that. Um, but suddenly the band saw a new wave of popularity like they'd never seen before and started touring relentlessly in support of rumors. Of course. While they were touring in New Zealand, Mick and Stevie started an on-again, off-again affair that I'm pretty sure at some point or another, both of them at one time said it was, like, the worst mistake that they had ever made in their lives. (laughs) Look, (laughs) cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah, but... is a close second to this dumbass relationship. (laughs) Makes you you do things. (laughs) It didn't help that Stevie was still in a relationship with Don Henley at the time. Oh no. And Mick was back with Jenny after getting a divorce and then remarrying her. Oh come on. What are you doing? Right? And it would end up being one of the most famous affairs in rock history. Yeah. Albeit one of the briefest and dumbest. Yeah. But after that, so they they were going through their whole affair. Their affair lasted like a year ish, mm. but it was like on again, off, off again. again. Yeah. And I think at one point she was she basically said like it only happened because we were drunk all the time. Yeah. And you know you're partying every night and you're partying until the wee hours of the morning and you're doing coke and you're drinking. And you end up being the last two people at the party. Y'all. Guess what's going to happen? Yeah. 
I we're mean, we're gonna go to fuck town. <laughs> Have fun in fuck town, everybody. <laughs> I mean, everybody just stop and think about all the fucking piss poor choices you've made while drunk or high. Oh, so many. So many. So many. The best is when I, you start sobering up halfway through them and you're like, ooh. I sincerely. I didn't want this one. I sincerely Sorry. apologize to all the residents of Troy, New York for dealing with all the dumb drunk shit that we oh, do all the time. we do a lot of dumb drunk shit. I think we're fun in the moment. I think we're fun. I also think we're fun now because I've been drinking. So I'm like, we're great. When I'm sober, I'm like, we're assholes. Oh, when we're drunk, we're hilarious. I think we're great. <laughs> so they had a lot to live up to with their next album, considering the success of Rumors. So in 1978, they went back into the studio to record the follow-up, Tusk. Mm-hmm. This time they had brought their bought their own recording studio specifically for the purpose of recording Tusk. Jesus. And it even had a bar with English beer on tap. Ooh, aren't you fancy? So when are we gonna get our own bar with I know, whatever right? on tap? When we get our own recording studio. Now we're not like doing this bootleg shit. Yeah, right. All right, that's fair. <laughs> so Lindsay proved to be a pretty tough nut while recording Tusk. Oh, you don't say. Oh, really? <laughs> Um, he had gotten really into punk and new wave okay. at this time. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, so he wanted, so when writing for Tusk, he wanted to write by himself away from the other band members and then present to them a mostly formed songs for them to listen to and record after he had already written them. So Lindsay basically wanted to write an album and have them perform for it. <laughs> yes. That's obnoxious. Yeah, that's pretty much what he wanted because he wanted to bring other influences into the band, like new wave influences. Right, but he—you said he was listening to new wave and punk. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get that from listening to Tusk. No, there's like two good Lindsay songs on that at most. I mean, Tusk is a, a oh good Tusk song. is a fantastic and it, song, and it is different than what they've been doing, but it's also not like that much of a leap. No. From what they've been doing. No. So Mick apparently encouraged Lindsay to experiment with other genres and other influences, but John wasn't really thrilled about it. Right. Like, he he was like, we have this tried and true formula, just keep going with it. Just have keep you, have you listened to the last two albums we've had? Because yeah. they worked real good. Right. But you need to grow. Yes, and you, you, need to, you need to kind of change. But and, you could grow slowly. Yeah, that's fine. You could you could definitely I mean, weed out the chaff from the wheat, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, they don't need to dive headfirst into some like Joy Division shit, right? You know, you don't need to do that. But I mean, if you want to introduce some different influences, they yeah, go that's for fine. it. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, fine. Totes. So Mick apparently encouraged Lindsay to experiment with other genres of music and other influences while John wasn't thrilled right. about it. And he wasn't too keen on bringing new wave influences into the mix, but Lindsay got his way and ended up being the primary songwriter and producer on the, on the album. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, he ended up writing, like, most of the oh, songs. no, you can tell. Tusk is, uh, Tusk is a hard listen through. Because, yeah. again, there's a lot of chaff. Yeah. And there are diamonds in the rough, but you gotta dig for them diamonds. Yeah, you, you gotta wait a long time. Like, Tusk is a great song, 
But I will tell you, when I was listening through it, I knew it was a Stevie song within three measures because I said, this sounds like it's going to be a good song. Oh, it's a Stevie song. Yep. Sisters of the Moon. Oh. Such a good song. Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. Great song. So Tusk received mixed reviews. Big surprise. (laughs) I'm so surprised. It was a double album, and at the time, it was also the most expensive album ever produced at $1.5 million. Holy shit! Um, Mick explained that, like, most of the reason why it was that expensive was because one of the the main recording studio they were recording in Mm -hmm. the one that wasn't the one that they bought Mm -hmm. (laughs) specifically for the purpose of recording tusk was so expensive to use every day like to rent daily that most of the 1.5 million dollars was just rental for that one studio holy shit all right because it took them a long time yeah to record this album yeah which is kind of weird for you know what what was it 19 considering yeah and considering Lindsay came in with his fucking songs right but it had a few singles, including the title track, Toss. I do really love the marching band in that song, though. It's a very good use of the marching band. As a former band geek, <laughs> I fucking love that marching band. I'm surprised I never played that in marching band. I wish I was a band geek in high school. I My parents couldn't afford to get me a clarinet that I so desperately wanted. Oh, also, I knew you'd play the clarinet if you did I, play an instrument. Oh yeah, absolutely. But also, You seem like one of them clarinet girls. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, oh you know. Oh, you know. <laughs> but on top of not being able to afford an instrument my school didn't have a football team oh yeah we didn't it was too small it was way too tiny to have a football team and then when we finally did get a football team i think in my senior year we had to share it with the school district next door to us oh that's so cute no it's not cute are you it's sad we took football rules um, <laughs> so Stevie also had a couple singles from Tusk, including one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac songs, Sisters of the Moon. Yeah. And as per usual, she wrote some highly personal songs from the album as well. Sarah was one of those songs. Mm. Oh, Sarah. So, yeah. That's it, a great song. There's a very complicated story behind that. Ooh. <clears throat> so the Sarah in the song is actually Stevie's friend Sarah, uh, I think it's Recore. Okay. I'm going to go with record. Sure. Um, who would end up in a bizarre love triangle with Stevie and Mick. Oh. So although Mick was still married to his wife, Jenny, for the second time, uh. but he never cheated, uh. <laughs> he revealed to, to Jenny that he had been having an affair with Stevie for about a year. Okay. Jenny rightfully so, left him for good. Yeah. But Mick wasn't finished. He wasn't finished. He then told Stevie that he was in love with her friend Sarah. Oh, no. And Sarah promptly divorced her husband (gasps) and moved in with Mick. Jesus H. Christ, what the hell? Right? So the whole song was pretty much about that. Oh, my God. Stevie was devastated in the sense that 
she felt like she lost Mick and Sarah at the same time. Aww. So she kind of, you know. I did wonder what that song was about. Now I know and I'm sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that makes sense. I crushed, I crushed your spirit. No, I'm it's sorry. a sad song. You can yeah. tell it's a sad song. Yeah. <clears throat> so speaking of weird relationship shit, John and Christine finally officially got divorced. Yay. John moved on to a boat, but quickly managed to woo and marry a secretary from Fleetwood Mac's offices later that same year. All right. Surprisingly tying the knot at Christine's house. Okay. Because, okay. They seem to, after they kind of, like, flushed everything out, be pretty okay sometimes, from what I've read. Yeah, sometimes you're better friends than lovers. Yeah, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who knows you better than a former lover? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and they continued to live on the boat. You know, <laughs> I see John McVie on a boat, though. He's totally a boat he's guy. He's a boat guy. Yeah, he's, yep. a, he's a houseboat guy. Oh, houseboat. Yeah, see definitely. It. So Christine finally kicked the lighting guy out. Finally. And shacked up with Dennis Wilson. Oh, the that's Beach Boys. Right. Upgrade. Upgrade. You know, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta hit rock bottom. But wasn't Dennis Wilson the one who yeah, briefly let's... joined Charles Manson? Well, yeah. that's another episode for another time. We, we don't have do time to episode. get into it. We should but do that there's, Dennis Wilson has a complicated past. He does. We'll get into that some other time. So they dated for three years. They also lived part-time on a boat. Oh. Well, Dennis Wilson was a boat guy. Oh, really? Yeah. How Dennis do you Wilson. know that? My Charles Manson research. <laughs> 100%. That's amazing. <laughs> and Lindsay started dating Carol Ann Harris, who we touched briefly on before, Ugh. and we will not go into again because she is insufferable. Like, I'll give you guys a quick snippet. Like, her book is just... Reading through a college girl's memoirs of her first love, if I had to read his soft brown curls or beautiful blue eyes one more fucking time, I was going to smash my face in. It's like she was writing a book for Tiger Beat. It really was. It was... But then she would just say, oh, but then everybody in the band was mean to me, but then they weren't. And what made me put the book down was halfway through, she talks about when they're at the AMAs, they win album of the year, and Lindsay's apparently so high, he doesn't go up for a minute, the band's already up there, and he stumbles up there, and he embarrasses himself, blah, blah, blah. If you look at the videos on YouTube of the 1978 AMAs where Fleetwood Mac wins, he's walking up there with them. And yes, he is clearly high. But, but everybody else in but the auditorium is high. too. And it, it wasn't, he wasn't in another universe high, he was too in the moment high. Okay. So after I saw that and read that, I was, I put the book down. So what I'm trying to say is don't read Storms by Carol Ann Harris. It's a lot of her own just bullshit that she's peddling. And I can't it do that. It sounds like a lot of um, blatant exaggerations yes. for, for effects. Yes. Some kind of A hundred percent. So. Girl got paid. Yeah. She did. <laughs> so after Tusk, the band took a hiatus wherein many members made solo albums. Mm-hmm. Famously, Stevie, yeah, uh, arguably the most successful solo artist of all the band members, yeah. released her first album, Belladonna, much to much critical acclaim, as she should, mm-hmm. because classics like Edge of Seventeen oh. are on it. 
Was Sam back on that one? I don't remember. But I can't remember if it was. Edge of 17, when you're a high school girl and you hear that for the first time, you just think, yes. This is my anthem. I'm a strong, independent woman. <laughs> and if you didn't hear Stevie's, then you certainly remember hearing that famous chugga 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 thing. Oh. On Bootylicious. Yes, by Destiny's Child. By Destiny's Child. <laughs> Thanks, Beyonce. Bringing it back. Yes. <laughs> so while she was doing that, Mick decided to take a trip to Ghana and made an album inspired by his travels there. Oh. Which is, looking at pictures, it's kind of funny because you see the six foot six pasty white dude <laughs> in a sea of... Uh, Africans just staring at him, <laughs> and he is just so happy to be there. Oh, Mick, despite his poor life choices, seems to be the guy who is at least always a good time. He seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, Lindsay also released a solo album, but he looks absolutely ridiculous on the album cover, so I can't <laughs> even talk about it with a straight face, and I'm not gonna go into it. It was. It didn't do so well. Well, it it did okay, but it didn't do as well as the other solo. Albums. Right. So with solo albums out of their systems, Fleetwood Mac went back into the studio in 1981 to record Mirage. One of my favorite songs, "Hold Me," mm. is on this album, which was actually about Christine's ending of her relationship with Dennis Wilson. Oh, that's, that's a sad ending. Dennis Wilson had a sad ending himself. We'll do an episode on that. Yeah, I would but like also, to. also that that one was the one with Gypsy on it. Yes. Which I think those are like the two only real gems that you had to dig for. I think so. But Gypsy was the Stevie Nicks song that was pretty choice. Yeah, Gypsy was great. Yeah. jam at this time when they released mirage they were actually competing on the charts with stevie's own solo album oh my god so stevie had her solo album out they had just released mirage gypsy was i think they released gypsy first gypsy was doing well and at the same time all this was going on stevie's best friend robin anderson was diagnosed with leukemia oh and while in treatment Robin married her boyfriend, Kim, and then found out she was pregnant. Oh, my God. So, Robin died three days after giving birth to baby Matthew. Oh, my God. Stevie was devastated. Robin's husband, Kim, was devastated. And in their crazy, distraught state of mind, Stevie and Kim decide to get married. Oh, okay. That's a decision. Even though, at this point, Stevie had made the decision that she was never going to get married. She was never going to have children. Her career was too important. Things were going too well. And that's what she wanted to do. She had made that decision. But they were clearly just, they didn't know what to do. Right. Grief does crazy things to you. Exactly. I'll give it to you. And she just wanted to see the baby raised well. Aw. So they got married three months after she died. And Stevie was determined to take care of Kim and Matthew. And she said on numerous occasions that it was a marriage of desperation of sorts. 
as neither one of them really wanted to be or should have been married to the other, but they didn't know how else to cope with Robin's death. That's fair. So needless to say, they were divorced in three months. Okay. Married in three days, divorced in three months. (laughs) Which was probably a good idea. Yeah. I mean, if if you're just married because you think that's the right thing to do, then you shouldn't shouldn't be married. But trying counts? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) at least they tried, I guess. But at this point, drugs and alcohol had fully consumed all of the band members. John, who had almost hid himself away from the spotlight while the others were working on solo albums, ended up in the middle of a drug bust in his home in Hawaii. Was it his boat home? It was not a boat. Well, that's your problem. No, they were not specific. Oh, God. (laughs) It could have been on his boat. I don't know. He could have sailed it on down to Hawaii. Who knows? Oh. Don't know. But uh, they said that he was found with like 4.5, what is it, grams of Coke? Ounces? I don't grams. know. I think it's grams. I think it's grams. I don't know. Sorry, we're not I, I we're not cokeheads. I'm real sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the the drug things. Just give know. me the drugs. I don't know what I'm supposed to do I'm, with them. I'm not on the dope. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the alcohol. And also, they said that they that he was found with a like an ounce of a pot on him, or something like boogity that. Boogity boogity. <laughs> Big fucking deal. Whatever. Um. Then, in 1987, he had a seizure brought on by years of hard drinking and drugs. It was literally an alcohol-induced seizure. Jesus. So, and I I think still at that point, he wasn't like, oh, I should stop drinking. He just kept drinking. John McVie's liver said, fuck you. (laughs) Guess what's happening. Hey, brain, do it. (laughs) Let's fuck this shit up. (laughs) Party time. Um, and in this period, Stevie was admitted to the Betty Ford Clinic for cocaine addiction. She famously remarks that while visiting a plastic surgeon, he told her that she had a hole from her nose to her brain about the size of a dime. And if she took another hit of Coke, she could die from it because she would basically be shooting Coke straight to her brain. That's... And essentially have an aneurysm. That's too much cocaine, guys. Yeah. Don't do that much cocaine. That's too much cocaine. So much cocaine. Do you know how much money she shoved up her nose? Like, all of that money oh, that she God. paid for that coke. I could have so many dogs with that money. <laughs> you could have a dog farm. Oh, my God. I could have She could have had a farms. dog farm. Stevie Dicks. You could have <laughs> had a dog. She might now, though. Who knows? She could. If she does, I love her even more. Right? Mick... For his part, claims he has snorted about eight million dollars worth of cocaine. Holy in his shit! I'll never even see eight million dollars. It could also be why Mick filed for bankruptcy in 1984. Oh, <laughs> he mm. claims too it, much cocaine. He claims it was because of real estate investments and you know excessive spending on cars and stuff. Also, the cocaine. Yeah. They were able to get their shit together one last time. Unmas. And shout out Tango in the Night in 1987. Which, alright. Yep. Yeah, alright. Solid effort. Solid. In my opinion. I, it was also solid. my opinion. So the band had been doing their own things for so long at this point that it was difficult to get back in the groove of recording together again. But they busted it out 
and the album produced several chart-topping hits, including, but not limited to, my favorite Fleetwood Mac song of all time, Little Lies. It's a good song. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. A jukebox favorite of ours. Oh, yeah. When we're at the bar. Sorry, everyone in Troy. <laughs> Except we're not. You're and, welcome. And this is this is my favorite Fleetwood Mac song, but I know you like Seven Wonders. It's a, a good more. song. The video for Seven Wonders is like... I've never seen it. Oh, my God. It's like peak Fleetwood Mac trying real hard to be an 80s band. Oh. Like, I need to look it do up. Do you remember the the time when Stevie started dressing kind of like Madonna? It slightly. Like, like all in still lace. Stevie, but Madonna Stevie. Yeah, and like yeah. teased hair yeah. and like 80s makeup. Yeah, yeah it was that. It was that. Ooh. It was it was Fleetwood Mac via Heart from the 80s. Ooh. Yeah. I'm on board for this. You gotta watch it. It's pretty hilarious. I got my homework. <laughs> so do you, listener. <laughs> the celebration of a job well done was short-lived. Naturally, after the success of the album on the charts, the band wanted to go on tour to support it. Lindsay, however, had other plans. What? No way. He had grown to greatly dislike touring and couldn't cope with another Fleetwood Mac tour especially because his solo career was now taking priority. Because remember, at this point, the band had all of their own things going, and they were just periodically coming back together to do Fleetwood Mac stuff. Like, there was so much money and so much fame and success in their careers at this point that they could afford to just go and do whatever the fuck they wanted, especially if they, like, weren't getting along at that point. So, you know, they had all done their own you know, uh, solo tours and living their own lives. Whereas up until then, their lives were so intertwined that they were seeing each other every day. Oh, Jesus. So it, it was completely different from when they started. Even when Lindsay and Stevie first started, it, it was completely different. Everyone was living their own lives. And that's why it was so hard for them to come back to do Tango in the Night because they hadn't worked together in years. Like, who are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's this, right. This is how we work together? I forgot oh, how it yeah. worked. Oh, I forgot you did that. I hate that. Stop doing it. <laughs> yeah. This is why I don't hang out with you anymore. Oh. <laughs> he had, yeah, he, he didn't like touring and whatever. Whatever. And his solo career was taking yeah, yeah, yeah. priority, like whatever. Touring. Uh, the other band members successfully persuaded him to do another tour, but at the last minute, he changed his mind. Oh, no. So an emergency meeting was set up, and the band demanded an explanation from Lindsay, still trying to convince him to tour, but he wouldn't budge. Then shit got real. Oh, shit. A shouting match ensued. Oh, Jesus. Lindsay stormed out of Christine's house to his car, and Stevie followed, begging him to stay. Right. But Lindsay lost it, slapped Stevie... (gasps) pushed her against the hood of his car (gasps) and had to be physically restrained 
by Road Crew and Stevie's manager. You do not slap Stevie Nicks. No, you do not, you sir. Do not, sir. That is incorrect, sir. Sir. <laughs> so he went back into the house, allegedly calling Stevie a schizophrenic bitch, and then Mick asked Lindsay to leave the house, which he did, but also officially left the band. And that was it for Lindsay Buckingham. Of the entire situation, Mick said. It was not amusing. <laughs> Hot takes by Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> oh, it was not amusing. <laughs> not amusing. <laughs> this would effectively be the end of the greatest incarnation of Fleetwood Mac. Oh, but what? Oh. They ended up hiring guitarists to fill in for Lindsay, and they went on tour in support of Tango in the Night without Lindsay. Right. They would record another album without Lindsay Ooh. called Behind the Mask. Oh, no. But we're not going to talk about that. Behind, no, here's the thing. Behind the Mask isn't great, but it gets worse. Yeah. I mean, then they did... Uh, Time. I, I didn't even bother reading oh. about that one. Oh, no. I listened to it times... Actually, at one point when I was listening to Time, I said, Why don't Stevie and Lindsay sound the same? Oh, that's not Stevie and Lindsay, because by the, before, after Behind the Mask, Stevie left. Yes. And they did time with just Christine, John, and Mick, and they had some stand-ins. I yeah. don't remember. They were kind of, they were real throwaway stand-ins. Yeah, they were. Sorry. I pretty much think if you're not either the founding members of Fleetwood Mac or, you know, the best incarnation of Fleetwood Mac, you're kind of throwaway. Yeah. Like two bobs. Too many bobs. Too many bobs. There were too many bobs in Fleetwood Mac. But, I mean, it's it's not the total end of Fleetwood Mac. Because thanks to a certain president, I know they got brought back together once for that. When fucking Bill Clinton was running for president, uh, news don't stop. Yeah. Trust me. I know. Yeah. I was raised in a Clinton household. <laughs> um. Yeah, they... They essentially disbanded and yeah. broke up, but then in 1992, yeah, at the uh, our Bill Clinton decided to use "Don't Stop," arguably one of the worst <laughs> songs <laughs> that Fleetwood Mac has ever done. Decided I'm, to use it. As I'm a, gonna pick the worst Fleetwood Mac song as my campaign song. <laughs> I that was a do terrible that, Bill, Bill Clinton. Clinton. Sorry. Keep 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 doing it right. <sighs> So he decided to use that as his uh, campaign song. And then at the Democratic National Convention, he f- somehow Bill Clinton managed to get Fleetwood Mac to come reunited. But from and that, per- and oh. they performed Don't Stop at the D- DNC. But from that, didn't Lindsay and Mick kind of bury the hatchet and they started jamming yeah. together yeah. a bit. And I believe when Lindsay would do his solo stuff, Mick was helping him. Yes. And... Because of that collaboration, then um, they brought Stevie on board right. to do their last album, Two Thousand Three. Say, Say you it was will. Say you will. But at that point, Christine had officially quit. She retired. She wanted from that point on. She wanted absolutely nothing to do with yeah. the band or anything. According really. according to Mick, she basically looked at him and said, "Please don't ask yeah. me to come back." Yeah. And then Mick cried in a corner. Yeah. He he probably didn't, but maybe he did. But she did record, like, a whole... 
album with Lindsay. Right. And she did do, I think she did a couple backing vocals for On Say You Will. Yeah. So she did do a little bit, but she won't tour with them now. Yeah. Which... Bitch, she'll have to tour anymore. She don't have to tour. She Actually, most none of, her... of them have to do anything anymore. They've spent most of their lives touring. Like, Mick has been touring since he was 17. He's, what, 70-something now? Yeah. They've earned a break. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see them perform once more together. But... I, I would just want to see that for my own selfish reasons. Exactly. Because I, in, in my lifetime, would like to go to a Fleetwood Mac concert. Oh, but... You know, it would cost best. three hundred dollars for a ticket, it. but it would be worth it completely. Definitely. You know, really, from the story though, what I'm getting is that Lindsey Buckingham is a real Lars Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real Debbie Downer he's, of the band, isn't he's he? He's the Lars Ulrich of Fleetwood Mac for sure. I definitely get that from Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. So, wait, what are they doing now, though? Are they are they even together at all in any way? I think anymore? they're just chilling. Are they just um, chilling? They're just living off their millions. I want to say Lindsay is still trying to make music. And Stevie has been doing solo stuff. Like, well, this whole time. Stevie, fuck it. Stevie is an American horror story. Stevie, Stevie Nicks can do whatever the yeah. fuck she wants. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. And she's, I will she's worship on her the throne. ground that she walks on. Yes. Until the day both of us die. Yeah. Because if, if she asks me to go with her when she jumps off that cliff, I will go yeah. with her. Yeah, of course I'm going to go with Stevie Nicks. Absolutely. And what look, a way to go. And we're going to look fucking fabulous we're gonna when look we do real it. We're going to look good. It's going to be great. <laughs> so that is the story of Fleetwood Mac. My God. That's a big ass story. It was a long, it's a pretty good story. That's a good story, though. I feel like I left so much stuff yeah, out. Yeah, there's but... probably more, but you know, your homework for this week, kiddos, go listen to some Fleetwood Mac. At least listen to Rumors. If you're going to listen to anything, just listen to Rumors. It's so fucking good. And you don't even have to listen to the other albums back to front. You have to listen to Rumors back to front. Yes. Period. Rumors is the only one we're going to say, fucking grab it, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on YouTube, whatever the fuck you got to do, and listen to it. Because we only touched on, like, a couple songs that were on the album, but... Never going back again. Oh, never going back again. Um, Songbird. Just the the introductory uh, guitar riff that uh, Lindsey Buckingham again, does is his amazing. guitar is on point. Yeah. At the and honestly, as someone who just has been recently learning bass, John McVie's bass in Rumors is so fucking amazing. He's a very, very underrated He's so mu- underrated. Mu- musician. <laughs> I almost called him a magician. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is. He could be. You never know. I mean, living on them boats. He's an illusionist. <laughs> illusionist, Michael. God They're illusions, Michael. He doesn't do tricks. <laughs> anyway, but go listen to rumors. Do yourself a favor. You won't regret it. I promise. Absolutely. And I guess, other than your homework, that'll do it for this week's episode of Rock Candy. We really want to thank you all for joining us on this wonderful journey of fabulous Fleetwood Mac. So, uh, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. We'll see you next time. Cheers! Cheers!